and welcome to episode five of Slaytanic Verkast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, the mighty Slayer. Each week we dissect a track from their back catalogue by playing through the song, analysing the lyrics and giving a final appraisal. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting from a boarded up job centre somewhere near Batley, it's Dr Lequescence. How you doing, Doc? I'm all right. Um, the inside of this boarded-up job centre is a thoroughly desolate location. It manages to be even more desolate than outside the boarded-up job centre. More grim than Batley itself. More grim than Batley itself. Um, I mean, it manages to kind of be a microcosm um, of the whole entire area, and it... it almost acts as a, a, a magnet or a, a concentrating lens um, to produce such a concentrated air of grimness and depression. I, I, I repair here from time to time mm. um, when, when the pressures of the world or the, the, the derelict nuclear submarine um, or the haunted school become too great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I occasionally feel like I'm, I'm going through life a little bit too mirthful, not no, taking things seriously enough. I don't know and if you know this. I don't know if you know this, Doc, but I grew up in Batley, and I think it's why I developed a keen love of really bleak horror, because it reminded me of home. Um, It's got to be said, according to the dates on the cards um, in the card racks, um, which evidently date back to the the days when there were jobs in Yorkshire, Mm. um, the last time this job centre was actually used was probably about 1984. Mm. Well, my family fled Batley when I was about five years of age. And when they tell the tale, it's reminiscent of the last few people fleeing Saigon in 1975. It's it's a grisly affair. Um, Yeah, I mean... uh... Except I imagine there were even more people struggling to hang on to the skids of the last helicopter out. <laughs> I do not retain the accent in any way because my family decided to go to an even grimmer place called Dudley. So, you know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Um, a bit of housekeeping before we proceed with the episode proper. I thought we should introduce a correction section to the episodes to rectify any obvious mistakes that we will inevitably make as we go along. Now, here's the thing. Me and the Doc, we're both Slayer fans, but we are not Slayer historians. So sometimes errors creep in. I never know what the good doctor is going to ask me from one minute to the next and vice versa. And sometimes we have to pull stuff out of our arses. Deal with it, mofos. But... To remedy this, at long last, we've set up two ways that you can contact us. On Twitter, you can find us at Vercast, spelling as in the second word of the podcast title. I'm not going to spell it letter by letter. If you can't figure it out, frankly, we don't want to hear from you. Um, and the second way is by email, where we can be grappled at slaytanicvercast at gmail.com. Just please do be polite. If you're not, 
you'll just be ignored. We know we are useless twats. We don't know. We don't need you to tell us. Thanks all the same. Um, and can I follow up from that? Would no one nearly pretending to be a beautiful Russian prostitute even try and get in touch? Well, I mean, send the pictures by all means, but I'm not going to contact you back. I'll put it that way. And as this is the last track from side one of Show No Mercy, what we would like to do is a post-bag episode before continuing on to side two. So do drop us a line with questions, corrections, and observations. The best 10 will be pulled from our evil cauldron by Dr. Lequesson's gleaming hook for a hand. Agreed, Doc? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm going to have some news on that hook soon. There's going to be a working prosthesis within the week, but yeah, um, the best 10, best dozen or so. Uh, sure, no um, rules, really. Listener questions um, will be retrieved um, from the cauldron um, before uh, they burn as molten wax. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, as Morbid Angel might say. Correct. Um, so anyway, today's corrections come from our spoutings over the last three or four episodes. And there's three that I've identified that I think really need to be addressed. Correction number one, fight till death. You asked me, Doc, is fight till death a staple of Slayer on the live circuit? And I kind of said, no, I don't think so. You know, maybe back in the early day. Um, and, and, and it troubled me, it ignored at the back of my mind. So I went and found out. There's a great website called Setlist. I think it's setlist.com. Um, and it compiles, you know, the track by track setlist for, for every major band. Here's what I found out. Fight Till Death has been played by Slayer no less than 292 times. So rather frequently, actually. Um, you know, this now, there is a reason for my oversight. Delving into the statistics, as, as I did, it seems they played it consistently from the start of their run as a touring band until 1988. And then they dropped it until 2005. Um, and of course, that's the period when I was going to see Slayer Live. So I just never saw them play it. Um, so in my mind, that is, not a, that is not a song that they play. They picked it up again in 2005, maybe 2004, played it for that tour, and then dropped it again for another 11 years, and picked it up again in 2015, and then played it consistently until 2017. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a weird one. It's like on, off, on, off. But when they do decide to play it, they play it for the run of the tour. Um, I suppose, at the risk of being more snarky than I need to, you'd think, having played it so often, they'd be able to play it better, wouldn't you? <laughs> Correction number two. Slayer officially hail from Huntington Park, Los Angeles County, California. That is according to the Bible of internet metal, the Encyclopedia Metallum. If they say it, I believe them. And that saved me from another embarrassing gaffe at some point in the future, because until that moment, I believed that Huntington Park was in Orange County, California. Well, there we go. And, uh, you know, I, I'm guessing being American, they probably know better than we do. I think they do. Um, 
And the last thing, another thing we were, we were talking about was the, the term thrash metal itself. And neither one of us could really come up with a satisfactory, um, you know, origin for the term. Now, I haven't found out, found out a precise source for it, but I have found out that apparently, and this is a curious one, the term thrash metal was first applied to the 1974 Queen song, Stone Cold Crazy, but I could not find an actual citation for it. But I read that on two or three different sites. Now, I mean, whether they're just, you know, kind of citing each other and copying each other's information, I don't know. That's the best we can do for now. What do you think about that, Doc? Is Stone Cold Crazy by Queen? Thrash metal? Um, no, of course it isn't. Uh, it's one of those questions, and I, I, I think I probably mentioned this the last time, it's like the endless discussions, which are fun, but ultimately pointless, that you yeah. can have with your mates down the pub um, about which is the first gore movie or which is the first slasher movie. Sure. Or, for that matter, um, what's the origin, of, uh, the, the origin of the expression heavy metal? So, for instance, yeah. in, in that case, and I'm unsure of the timings on this, mm. the canonical origin of the expression heavy metal is from Born to be Wild by Steppenwolf. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe it's present in a far more canonical source, which is the Black Sabbath song, Behind the Wall of Sleep. Right. Um, it's one of those discussions that you can, you can have all the time. I'd point out that it's also possible for, um, let's say, in the way that Leibniz and Newton um, came by integral calculus at almost the exact same time, and who's to say who was first? Mm -hmm. Um, then I think it's possible for expressions to have more than one source. And the fact that the expression thrash metal was used to describe a Queen song in the early 70s. Um, I don't necessarily think... In the days before the internet, um, when getting hold of old music press and old reviews really wasn't easy at all, um, particularly across national borders, um, I don't see why the fact of an expression being used in 1970-something should necessarily be an influence or an origin point for an expression mm. that from out of absolutely nowhere became the accepted moniker for a genre of music yeah. in when, the mid-late 80s. Yeah, I, I think there's no satisfactory answer to this question, but still, it, it, it's interesting to uh, postulate about it. Um, I thought the topic for the intro of this episode could be talking about our favorite styles of metal. So tell me, Doc, what is your favorite style of metal overall, please? As people will be picking up by now, and um, which obviously Mo has known forever, I'm, um, I'm a metal dilettante. Um, and I'm not saying that um, to try and give myself plaus plausible deniability uh, of being a metalhead. Um, I'm a metalhead, um, confess to it, uh, own it, love it. Mm. I don't have a particular favourite style of metal. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably actually fair to say that there are, there are tracks from genres that I don't like very much um, that score higher in my list of top 100 metal tracks than anything from genres which I putatively prefer. Mm -hmm. can, you, can, um, can, you, can you think of any examples off the top of your head? Um, yeah, absolutely. Doom metal um, mm -hmm. is not a genre um, I like very much. No. Um, but, 
um, off the top of my head, Sloth by um, St. Vitus. Mm. Um, the Reaper by Trouble. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Black Sabbath by Black Sabbath. I'm not, um, I'm not a big Doom fan, but I'd, I'd throw Thumb by Caius in there as well, personally. That's a cracker. By Q, um, yeah. And Super Judge by Monster Magnet. Mm -hmm. Actually, I'm kind of undercutting myself here because it seems like I probably am a bit of a Doom Metal fan. <laughs> um, I, 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 I appear to be coming out with uh, examples of Doom Metal songs that I like. So, yeah, okay, better reverse myself on that. Um, <laughs> honestly, all things considered... Um, it's a genre that you, or it's 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 a breed of metal that you don't like. Mm. Um, as a complete package, um, as a coherent whole, um, probably primitive black metal. Mm. Or oh, you contrarian. Go on, tell me why. Um, it's one of those forms of music that, um, the first time I heard De Mysteris Don Satanus by Mayhem, mm -hmm. um, it was in Metal Company. Um, we didn't put it on to make fun of, but I laughed out loud at it. Um, that was my uh, that was my instinctive reaction. Somehow, I was not able to dismiss it. Um, I kept coming back to it. Um, I acquired a copy of it. Then I paid for a copy of it. Mm. Um, I ended up listening to it a very great deal. And rather astonishingly, that's a an album that's been on my list of albums that. Um, well, it's it's been one of those albums that I don't always keep in the bottom of my day bag. Um, but in the days when it was cassettes, if I was going to be away from home for more than a couple of weeks, um, Demisterus Dom Satanus would be on a cassette in the bottom of my bag. Since I've acquired an MP3 player, Demisterus Dom Satanus has been on. And it's it's an album that stayed with me literally since 1994, since the first time I heard it. I've listened to it countless times. Oh, sorry, sorry, Doc. Remind me, it, it, is that the one that starts with, uh, is it called Funeral Fog, the first track? Yes. That's, I, I, yeah. I, I know the very fella. Go on. Please continue. Yeah. Um, and it's one of those albums that I keep revisiting. Um, I keep I routinely hear things in it that I've never heard before. Um, and in a spirit of which I think Mayhem would be very proud, it's exerted something of an occult pull mm -hmm. over me. Mm -hmm. it's I, I, I think for primitive raw black metal, that is, you know, that is an example where it is actually rather well produced and rather coherent. Um, I, I can listen to that album, and, and that is a style that I don't really like. There's a more mundane explanation as well. Mm. Um, apart from certain aspects of the production, specifically the guitar sound and specifically the style of drumming, I don't think... I think that album has more in common with something like um, My Bloody Valentine at the same mm -hmm. period in as much as um, it's a wall of noise, it mm -hmm. relies on sound and atmosphere far more than tunes. Um, the lyrics in My Bloody Valentine songs are about as intelligible as the lyrics in Mayhem songs. Mm -hmm. um, and they're, they're, they're kind of companion pieces from approximately the same time in history. Um, very different um, national backgrounds, very different social backgrounds, um, obviously an audience that has almost nothing in common with each other. Mm -hmm. um, although I bet you um, in the era where there is nothing too niche, 
and there is no two genres that people will not try to blend. Um, I bet you there is a black metal, a primitive black metal, oblique stroke, shoegaze band in existence somewhere. Sure, I think you're probably right. Uh, and in fact, I think I know of the very band, but I can't put my finger on it right at this moment. Maybe that's something I can put in the show notes if it comes back to me. Um, for me, my favourite uh, style in general has to be melodic death metal, uh, generally, generally of the Swedish ilk. Um, <clears throat> bands like <coughs> In Flames, you know, particularly their, particularly their early work, of course, they've transmogrified into something that kind of pure metal fans find quite revolting. I actually quite like their, their modern output, but I'm in the minority from their original fans, I think. Um, but their, their first four or five albums, I would say right up to um, Clayman, are just sensational. Um, Dark Tranquility, Teata are a hidden gem, uh, almost unknown really. And then of course the mighty Hypocrisy dabble in some melodic death metal on occasion. Um, I just love the combination of the kind of, it's, it's like Maiden, isn't it? Just sped up a little bit, detuned and sped up. And, 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 and just the, the you know, the, the, the musicianship, the technicality of it. Yeah, the, the choruses, everything works for me. I love it. Yeah, for a genre which at first seems like it might be quite limited and not have a particularly good shelf life or you might not be able to do very much with. It's been going for a good long time. Oh, um, yeah. My entry into the world of, of, of melodic death metal, Swedish melodic death metal, mm. um, I would put to the first At The Gates album. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's a good, yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as I know, it's still going. Mm -hmm. I think so, yes. I, yes, I, I think there are still melodic death metal bands out there. Um, you know, I don't have my finger on the pulse quite as much as I did 15 years ago, but yeah, I, I think it's still a going concern. And I mean, as, as, as a genre, it runs the gamut from something as quote unquote approachable um, as in Flames, mm -hmm. which you just mentioned, mm -hmm. to stuff that's very, very um, not dark in the accepted sense of the word, but disturbed rather than disturbing. And I'm thinking of hypocrisy. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yes, hypocrisy. Which, are, you know that well. They, they 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 kind of blur the boundary, don't they, between the melodic death metal and just straight death metal. Um, you know, because sometimes they just get they just get down and 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 kind of grind away, but then but then other times, you know, they they are nothing nothing but melodic. Yeah, and I mean they've they've got precious little in common with the blast beat, blast beat, blast beat, chug chug chug, um, double bass drum, double bass drum, Satan, 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 mm. um, brand of death metal, which mm. I also love. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and one of Hypocrisy's albums. I would certainly put in my top 10, and that would be Abduction, I think it's called. Um, right. You know, this is the, concept album about, the concept album about alien medical experiments. Jim, yes, you're right. Yes, concept album. I think focusing on the, on the Roswell incident in 1947, I think. Um, yeah, very, very good stuff. Um, shall we move on, Doc? I think we should. Let's go. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. 
Here, we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to, and generally just get on down to a bit of Slayer. This week's song is track five from Show No Mercy, which is entitled, rather curiously, Metal Storm Face the Slayer. Here we go. Um, definitely. I mean, there's uh, there's some influences on sleeves here, aren't there? Mm-hmm. Go on. What, 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 uh, what are you detecting? The uh, it's probably too obvious, almost even to say Iron Maiden. Would you well, say? Well, yes, for, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a statement of intent, isn't it? Compa- uh, so compare and contrast to um, the borderline crust anarcho hardcore. Um, that was the front and centre influence of the previous track. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've gone a few miles up the road and an absolute world away mm-hmm. in musical and cultural influences. Sure, sure. This, this is full on new album. Let's go. <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, um, I mean, th- 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 this could be lifted straight off Maiden's first album, I would say. Most definitely. Yeah. Um, are there uh, any records of um, Mr. Orion machine gunning the front row with his bass during this track? <laughs> he could. He could well do. I think if this was, you know, better produced, you know, we we, we would actually be he- be hearing what he's playing, and I suspect. I suspect he's he's not just following the guitar line here, you know. Um, I would like to think he's you know he he's trying to get a bit Steve Harris on our asses in some way. Definitely. Let's go. <laughs> kind of that harmonized slide down the guitar that is pretty much killers isn't it by maiden yep definitely you know that's definitely what i hear there and even even the riff that they're bursting into here you know it's 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 still not thrash is it this is this is heavy metal mate close your eyes and you can see daily thompson taking a chug of lucasade and getting Mm. on a starting box yeah what track is that is that phantom of the opera it's Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're not wrong. Let's go. Mm-hmm. 
change. Now we have a change. I think up until that point, I could see Dave Vilips Murray in tight, stripy lycra, you know, strumming along to those riffs. But I think at this point, the song does transition quite dramatically. Do you think that's the reason we have the strange title, Metal Storm, Oblique Stroke, Face the Slayer? It's not a colon, is it? It's not saying this is the same song. I th for me, no, that Oblique Stroke suggests that it, it is a song in two parts. It's an instrumental, uh, an, an, an overture, yeah. um, if you will, um, mm -hmm. nailed to the, 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 the symphony. Which yeah, presumably we we're, we're about to get next. We're about to go into. Let's find it. Let, let's find out. <laughs> It's a bit more thrashy, I suppose, um, but, it, but it, it's still got that, I don't know, it, it's still got that new album vibe going on. This, this now seems to be, you know, they've gone into a Venom phase here. They started with Maiden, and now, and now they're playing a bit of Venom, basically. What, what, what do you think? Um, I'm picking up more Priest than Venom, to be honest oh, with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, he was he was flirting with the uh, the Rob Halford falsetto a bit there. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and there are still some. Um, I was going to say there are still some harmonies on the guitar that I don't think you'd find in in, in a Venom track because mm. Venom have only got one guitar player. Oh yeah, you're right. You're right. And at the end, they don't they don't tend to do like the the, the single pick melodies, do they? In the same way. Um, maybe I was grasping grasping a little bit. Let's see how it develops. Yes, it is. And um, I'm going to bring up the point now. Um, I think you, in, in your previous comments, you're into two shoves in a squirt territory. Um, mm. I think you were suffering a bit from premature congratulation. <laughs> Go on, tell because, me more. Well, um, up until that point, I hadn't detected any venom influence. Um, the very second after you said it, then mm. a venom influence suddenly manifested itself. Well, I, I mean, I could definitely hear a bit of witching hour in it, I would say. Yeah, um, I will sort of stick by my previous statement as well. Um, we had a definitely priest-like whale at the end mm -hmm. there, uh, which um, I expect, I don't expect, maybe, I, I suspect maybe brought out a grimace um, mm. on your fair visage. <laughs> I, I, I know you're not, those are not your favourite bits of, uh, of rare vocals, are they? That's true, but actually, I, 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 I don't find it too objectionable in this one. Um, and it is interesting, isn't it? You know that clearly, 
you know, the, the, the three influences here are, the, are really the three titans of British metal. You know, Maiden, Priest, Venom. And I suppose why not? If you're gonna, if you know, if you're gonna be influenced, then you know, take it from the best. I guess. Let's keep. Let's press on. Strange production issues here, I think. The soul is it me or the, the, the solos are very low in the mix, aren't they? Yeah, definitely. Compa compared to compared to the, the the previous four tracks, this is definitely not the same production setup. Almost all of the tracks have sounded like the product of um, different studios, different mm. setups, different recording engineers. Um, there were those two tracks. Uh, probably tracks number two and three, um, where it sounded like they recorded the drums with a Fisher Price cassette recorder mm. inside a cardboard box with some pillows over with some pillows over the top of That's it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I believe I can hear at least three different drums on this kit. Mm. Mm. It's interesting. It, 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 it is interesting that you know, that, you know, effectively on on the first side of an album, you can have such a mixed bag. On the production, but I guess this is just a sign of the times. I guess let's let's keep going. They kind of hang that ominous kind of open E chord. You think, oh, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna go slaying now, aren't they? But every time they just go back into Maiden. Um, there's a hidden influence here. Um, I can't take credit for spotting this. This was mentioned to me many, many, many years ago when I was discussing with somebody else who's also an acquaintance of yours. Um, influences on Nuobum. Um, mm. And the person in question swore blind that a huge influence on Iron Maiden was Jethro Tull. Okay. Um, which I scratched my head at a lot when it was first said, and I never got for ages and ages and ages. And a lot, many, many years later, I heard the song, um, I believe it's called For a Thousand Mothers. Mm -hmm. I'll have to check that and put it in the errata if I'm not right. Um, but there's a breakdown section in that which Jethro Tull play in their um, blues rock, folk blues rock, progressive style. But it kind of does the same thing. It uses the same three different time signatures in a very short space of time. Um, it's something you can hear Maiden do quite a bit, not so much on the first album, but I think on the Killers album. Mm -hmm. um, and um, Slayer are doing here. Um, it makes perfect sense to me, the progress um, that this song's going through. Mm. Um, it's still surprising, it's still pleasantly surprising, mm -hmm. but it's not completely, it doesn't sound like a band chucking a bunch of influences into the mix and seeing if they'll work together. Mm -hmm. It seems very coherent and very planned. 
Let's see what happens next. So the answer to the question, what's going to happen next, is kind of more of the same, really, isn't it? You know, it's just kind of plodding along with a really kind of Maiden-esque riff going on. His, his vocals are obviously deeper than, than, than either Paul Diano or Bruce's. Um, so, you know, there's a bit more gruffness and aggression to his voice. But, but musically, you know, it, 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 it's, it, it's, it's plodding along, doing, doing its stuff. Yeah. Let, let's finish it off. There we go. That's track five from Show No Mercy. That's the last track on side one of the album called Metal Storm Face the Slayer. Um, initial thoughts, Doc? I really, really liked it. Mm. <laughs> Nothing like I expected, particularly mm -hmm. coming right after the previous track. <clears throat> um, it fills... Um, a whole bunch of needs for me. It, it, it fills a whole bunch of needs, wants, and desires. It's got progressive elements. It's got noobum elements. It's got melodic metal elements. Mm. Um, it hasn't got any straight out heavy elements, but as we've mentioned, possibly controversially in the past, Slayer is not necessarily a band you go to for heavy. No, I don't think so. So I don't think that's a huge downside. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I'm one of those people who's enough of a, an anorak and enough of a train spotter to have fun spotting influences as opposed to being irritated mm -hmm. by spotting influences. Mm -hmm. um, I know it gets right at the noses of some people and some people just, if, if there's an influence there and it's too obvious or it gets too close to a ripoff, it, it really ruins a whole bunch of stuff for them. Sure. Um, but when you've got the the history of genre film and genre television and genre fiction that, that that we have and we've shared going back for a long time. I think, honestly, there are no new ideas. There mm. are just different ways of putting them together. Sure. And I get a very pleasant frisson from detecting an influence that I recognise. I think the people um, who complain about that kind of stuff, Doc, are people who don't have a creative bone in their body, personally. That's been my experience. You know, I, th I think people who are creative and, and, and write stuff, be it, you know, music or, 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 you know, write stories, whatever it happens to be, understand that principle, you know, exactly, as you say, perfectly. No new ideas, just, you know, new ways to rearrange them, basically. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I think most creatives understand this intrinsically um i mean there's also the fact that in my heart of hearts as well as my job um i'm an engineer and there's that part of me that thinks when you have a technique that works really really well 
If you have a construction technique that works really well in an otherwise terrible building, even if the building is condemned and demolished within a few years, there's no reason to abandon that technique. Mm-hmm. And if you have a technique that works really well in an excellent building that stays up for absolutely ever and everyone mm-hmm. loves and everyone wants to live in, well, then, of course, you're going to reuse that. Sure. Um, I, um, my mind is always on economy um, and the reuse of techniques and methods and components that have proved their value and proved their excellence. Mm-hmm. And I don't actually understand why creative activity should be any different to engineering in that respect. Mm-hmm. Any, um, any further thoughts before we move on to the lyrics? There's an influence in there. There's a huge one um, that I'm missing completely. It's nagging away at the back of my eyes. Um, I'm sure it should be really, really obvious. It's the way the lyrics are delivered. Um, particularly in the last verse. That is a cadence that is far too obvious for me not to be able to recognise. I'm a little bit upset with myself that I can't pick it out because I should be able to. Well, anybody listening, if you recognise what the doc's crazed mind is trying to identify... Please don't hesitate to get in touch either on Twitter or by email. Um, Ready for the lyrics? I am. Let's move on. Welcome to part three of the show, Evil Speak. Here we read through and dissect the lyrics that Tom is bawling at us with considerable venom, ironically. So here goes. A misty night, a perfect night, beneath the cold of the frozen star. You feel the fright, you know I'm near, you never should have come this far. What's he blathering on about, Doc? I think he's, um, digenically, or mimetically if you like, um, he's the, the, the lurker in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Um, he, He's playing the part of the the, the evil entity, um, which may or may not be Satan himself, sure. um, who's uh, who's lurking on the edge of the haunted woods or um, uh, the 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 edge of the forbidden graveyard, mm-hmm. um, and it's obviously addressed to someone who has transgressed against this unholy space. There's definitely a, a predatorial feel to it, isn't there? You know, there's somebody there. That you know that's being watched. I can imagine this in a movie with a proper POV. You know, there's mist in the air. You know, the the, the moon is the moon is lurking behind the behind the clouds. What does he mean by the frozen star? What's that to do with? Um, I would imagine it's actually a reference to planet Venus, which mm-hmm. on cloudy winter nights is very often the only celestial object you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks like, although it's a planet and considerably nearer than any star to Earth, um, because of the way astronomical distances work, um, you would normally perceive it as just being an uncommonly bright star on a night when you can't see any other stars. Sure. Um, and when there's mist, when there's mist in the air, the, the the great luminescence of Venus causes it to have a a halo around it, um, which kind of poetically makes it look like you're, you're, you're viewing it through um, 
frost patterned glass. Mm. You feel um, the fright, you so, know I'm near. You never should have come this far. So th th this is suggest the, the suggestion you're making, that this person is transgressing in some way. Yeah, and I think there's another reading as well. Um, I don't want to read um, homosexual panic into something where it might not be. Mm -hmm. um, but I think it's, equal, it's, it, it's equally possible to imagine it being, this line in particular, um, addressed to someone who's gone into a part of town um, where they're not particularly welcome or where they might experience something they're not quite prepared for. <clears throat> so as we often see in Slayer, um, there's, um, there's a high and a low dimension to it. That there's, there's, there's a cosmological dimension. There's um, man trespassing in supernatural territory. Sure. Um, and I think it's also possible it's a, a much more mundane story. It's, it's, it's the story of someone out in, out in the big city, um, mm. maybe on the edge of the gay district, maybe on mm. the edge of the ghetto, mm. um, who's probably gone a bit too far into an area where, and I'll say this again, um, either they wouldn't be comfortable or they're likely to experience something they'll find discomforting. Mm. I think it's an experience everyone from the Burbs, like us, um, has had during their early excursions into the big city. What mm. do you think? Mm. It's possible, isn't it? You know, especially the lyrics. Uh, let me give you the, the credits for this track. Um, lyrics are by Kerry King. Music is by Hanneman and King. Um, so it is possible, you know, that, you know, maybe, maybe Kerry, you know, you know, venturing into the big city for the first time, dressed as a, as, as a metal warrior, as I'm sure he was, you know, at that age, you know, maybe, you know, maybe he felt a bit almost kind of intimidated. I'm sure he wouldn't admit it these days because he's, you know, I don't know, I don't know how, quite how humble he is these days, but yeah, I think it's certainly possible. Let's move on to the next couple of lines. I've broken these up the best way I can, actually, because there's no clear delineation of verse and chorus with this song. In fact, I would say there's no chorus at all with this song. I'm alive, you can't kill me. I will survive so the next couple of lines, I am alive, you can't kill me. I will survive eternity. So, that, you know, this, this gives credence to your... Uh, your inclination that this is, you know, this this isn't. When I when I read the first section of lyrics, I thought this is, you know, just some kind of pervy predator, you know, stalking a, a potential victim. But this line, these two lines, certainly, it it, it becomes much more fantastical and much more supernatural, doesn't it? Simultaneously, more supernatural and more mundane. Mm -hmm. um, I am. Um, I never thought at all. Um, it, as we know, um, people who don't understand metal from both sides of the political spectrum will often accuse metal of misogyny. Mm -hmm. um, it is a criticism that I have struggled to understand ever. Mm -hmm. um, women are by and large absent from metal songs. Um, yeah, I, th I think those people confuse hard rock and metal a great deal. You know, there, there, there's no doubt that there, there, are, there are plenty of hard rock bands out there talk, singing about, 
you know, sex and 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 and, and treating women as, as objects, basically. I, I, and I don't think your, your average um, your, your average politician um, or or kind of reactionary journalist makes the the same distinction that we do. No, but it's an interesting thing. I can imagine how someone who wasn't familiar with genre fiction or horror fiction or occult fiction mm-hmm. um, might interpret this art as, as the narrative, and you kind of alluded to it, um, of the stalking of um, a victim who, yeah. because of where society works, might be understood to be female. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is what people are referring to when people think of... Um, true metal or proper metal um, yeah. as being misogynistic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think um, you would read a narrative of um, a victim being pursued by a predator, and because of the way that our society works, um, people cast the victim as a woman and the predator as a man, and then cast the situation as a wish fulfillment fantasy for mm-hmm. heavy metal bands and heavy metal fans. And to people who think that, I would like to say, no metal fan I know thinks like that. And if you think like that, then I don't know who the misogynist is. Exactly. I mean, exactly. Yes. You know, look to the mirror if that's what you think is going through people's heads, basically. Um, let, 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 let's look at the next four lines here. Go through the fire, walk past Can the Can I make dead. one more comment? Oh, sorry, Doc, please. Um, so going back to what I was thinking about originally, um, yes, it's perfectly possible to imagine it's, um, it's a predator, oblique stroke victim narrative, mm. and I think it's perfectly possible to imagine that um, the, the the predator is 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 a supernatural entity. I think it's also imag- possible to imagine that the predator is economic. Um, I'm alive. You can't kill me. I will survive eternity. You can't get rid of the ghetto. Mm-hmm. Um, if it really is the story of a lad from the suburbs who who's who stumbled into a bad part of town, mm. um, what's threatening is the nature of it being a bad part of town. You can't shoot it. You can't use martial arts against it. Your self-defense lessons are no use. Sure. Um, that's what can't be killed. Yeah, you, you, you can't punch the hood out of existence, can you? No, um, economic reality can never be defeated. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting observations, Doc. As ever, your eyes are wide. Go through the fire, walk past the dead, lost in my eternal maze. Your heart pounds through the mist-filled air. Your concentration breaks for me to strike. Um, Go through the fire, walk past the dead. What? I can only chalk this up as um, a bit of image building. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, the closest I can get that fits into either of the two narratives we're, 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 um, we're pursuing right now. Um, if you think of something such as Escape from New York um, or Future Apocalypse movies, mm-hmm. about the time this song came out, the, the borders of civilization um, or the bit where the main character has been chased out of the civilized enclave um, and has to go into the badlands, they're, they're, they're typically hallmarked by... Um, the sort of picket line braziers made out of 40 gallon drums with sure. burning stuff in them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and with sort of radioactive mutants or chemically scarred um, war relics mm-hmm. standing around them trying to keep warm and cooking rats and stuff. 
Um, that's the closest I can get to, to where that comes from. Lost in my eternal maze. Now, the, 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 this could fit in with your hypothesis about the um, about it kind of being, you know, the the, the socio-economic, you know, the, the the existence of the ghetto, basically, the existence of the hood. Um, you know, I, I think it's arguable that that could be returned, referred to as the eternal maze. What do you think, Doc? Yeah, absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. In the mundane sense that ghettos and bad parts of town, old parts of town, are maze-like late at night when yeah, you're exactly. lost in them. Yeah. Um, you can't, um, when there are tall buildings around you and the streets are narrow and you can't see the railway station tower or the clock mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. anything to really orient yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and on a slightly more elevated, being lost in poverty, being lost in economics, sure. being unable to orient yourself and find a way out mm -hmm. is... An eternal maze for everybody and not just anyone who's ever stumbled into a ghetto in the middle of the night well it, it could be a reference to existence couldn't it basically just you know yes. life itself is the eternal maze that none of us ever truly escape from none of us ever truly master um your heart pounds through the mist-filled air your concentration breaks for me to strike now that suggests that the person being pursued is aware that they're being pursued because why, otherwise, why are they concentrating? You know, so that, you know they're, obviously they're concentrating to prevent the attack that's coming and then they lose their focus. Um, what, what do you think that's about? Once again, the closest I can get, <clears throat> you will read in many self-defense manuals, um, the, um, the sort of three conditions, um, the three states of alert um, that you can be in. Um, so there's a completely relaxed state of alert, um, which you would typically, which which you would ideally only assume <clears throat> when you're in a very secure location. Um, there is a raised state of alert um, where you're not ready to fight. You don't have your hand on a weapon, um, but you are aware um, that there may be danger around. Mm -hmm. And apparently you should attempt to remain in this state um when you are outside an area that you know to be completely safe mm -hmm. um, and then there's the elevated state of alert um where you do have a hand on your weapon if you're carrying one um you are poised to throw a punch or a kick or deliver a throw um and you can't keep that up for very long because it's exhausting mm -hmm. um and that's the that, uh, and that's the point when your concentration breaks mm -hmm. um I think anyone who'd ever been to karate class or anyone who'd ever taken some lessons on a firing range um, would have been told about the three states of alertness. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, know, you know what my dad used to say to me? He said, he used to say, son, if you ever get in a scrap, go for the ankles, the knees and the balls. They won't be expecting that. Wise words, <laughs> I feel. <laughs> Next two lines. You've cowered down, you've broken the chain. Now I can freeze your burning eyes. I mean, a great evocative image, but what are you talking about? I almost have no idea. Mm. Um, I've, I've toyed with the idea reading through these lyrics. Is it actually, uh, is, is this, um, has the narratorial focus flipped around to 180 degrees here? Well, I was um, thinking, 
based on this line, that both the the hunted and the hunter suddenly it, it seems that they are both kind of um, supernatural forces in some way. Um, you know, but this burning eyes reference makes me think of some kind of demon. But it, but it's obviously if that's true, well, the demon's being hunted. What hunts a demon? A bigger demon. Unless we're referring to a a very 70s survival horror trope here, which is that um, in order to survive, the civilised man must become even more barbaric than the mm -hmm. barbarians who are pursuing him. Mm -hmm. um, very hills have eyes. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, effectively, Ooh. don't um, don't provoke a, a civilised-seeming person or be wary about provoking a weak-seeming person. Mm -hmm. um, unless you're fully prepared for the beast that that um, that you might unleash, I'm struggling to make sense of this. You've broken the chain sure. line here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you read it as a narrative about um, the upper working class or middle class people entering the realm of the lower classes, um, then I think it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You are now literally in a part of town where the police are not going to be around anytime soon <clears throat> you don't even really know where you are and by doing so um, you've broken the chain on a social class of people who are itching to have their revenge on someone like you mm. but you know we, we have to be honest here and say we're totally guessing aren't we it's very possible it means absolutely nothing and 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 i think that the the the, the next uh, six lines uh, may give us some indication of which way we're going with this. Here we go. You see me lift the axe. It plunges through your shield. You now begin to panic as you see your chances <laughs> grow slim. You're running through the endless maze. Turn and I'll be there. A force too strong for you to fight. I'll see your end tonight. Um, I think any sense that this is, you know, this this has any kind of double meaning. I think is we can. I think we can be totally discounted at this point. I don't know about you, Doc. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know whether I try too hard at this stuff, but um, this is sort of a, a, a journey I've been on since I became dissatisfied with the kind of critical theory I was being taught in secondary school in English class, which was that a poem or a play or any piece of narrative fiction um, has a meaning. And mm -hmm. by reading it correctly, you can understand what the meaning that the author intended. Mm -hmm. um, this seemed to me very, very silly at the time. And as I studied more and more critical theory and was educated more and more in critical theory, um, it became apparent to me that whatever interpretation um, is a product of your own experiences, is a product of the period of history in which you live mm. um, far more than the period of history in which the thing was written. I can't understand, I can't even begin to understand the social and economic conditions that were normal for everybody when the Canterbury Tales mm -hmm. was written. Mm -hmm. um, it's not even, uh, I mean, even if I were to do a reenactment, and play at it for a week, I still wouldn't be any closer to understanding what it would be like to have that as your life. Sure. 
the only interpretation I can ever bring to anything, and I think that's this is true of anybody, um, is through the lens of your own experience. I think possibly because we were talking about Yorkshire in 1984, earlier on, um, this line about it plunges through your shield. Um, I was suddenly struck by um, the image of a, um, <clears throat> a riot control policeman holding one of those plastic shields. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I was reminded of news footage um, of the minor strike. I, it took me a good long while to stop thinking of that and start to think, um, are they in fact talking about some sort of medieval warrior's shield? Mm -hmm. um, are they in fact talking about some kind of psychic shield um, by which I don't mean an invisible barrier that you cast like a spell. Um, I mean, a shield that you can place around yourself, convincing yourself that you'll be all right because you're who you are and nothing really bad happens around here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, <coughs> I like the way your mind works, Doc, but for me, this is plain and simple, a story of two demons one demon is bigger than the other demon, and the big demon's got a big axe, and he's smashing the living shit out of the smaller demon. That's my interpretation. Now that I've read this verse, I, I was willing to go with it until this point, but, but this, <laughs> this, this set of, li of lyrics has changed my mind. If I were a wise man, if I were a wise man, <laughs> um, I would bow to the superior argument and agree with you. <laughs> but we both know that I'm not. It's much more fun if you disagree. Let's let, let finish the lyrics off. You think you can destroy me? You better think again. I'm a digital terror. My cost will never end. I'll drop you in the pentagram and see you battle too. Life is just another game. I'll say it's better you. You think you can destroy me? You'd better think again. I am eternal terror. My quest will never end. I'll trap you in the pentagram and seal your battered tomb. Your life is just another game for Satan's night of doom. I managed to get to the end of that without laughing, but it, but it was it was tough, <laughs> especially the, the reference to the pentagram, which always cheers me up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, um, it's almost another one of these beautiful moments of unintentional slayer mildness. Um, you know, you know what I'll do? You know what I'll do? <laughs> you know what I'm going to do to you, do? motherfucker? <laughs> I'm going to trap you in a pentagram. <laughs> oh, oh I'm quaking. Oh, carry on quaking. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> if you don't watch yourself, if you don't watch yourself, I'll trap you in a pentagram and seal your battered tomb, young man. <laughs> it's great. Great fun. I really like this last verse. Um... um but again, for me, this is this is this is this is you know, for want of a better the want of a better expression, the nail in the coffin. It's it, 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 two demons fighting, Doc. What are you talking about? Oh, all right, then you're right. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> Anything stand out for you, though? Uh, it's a, it turn it turns out to be a deeply silly song. Um, it does. And maybe, maybe um, the the political dimension. Um, of the song is to show up and make to look foolish, pretentious idiots like me. <laughs> Don't feel bad, Doc. It's why we love you. Um, anything further to say about the lyrics, or are we content to say it's a fabulously silly bunch of words 
um, that we rather enjoyed. Um, honestly, I do have some more stuff to say about the lyrics. Please. The first, the first verse has evidence of some poetry being studied. So um, it has a rhyme scheme. Um, and uh, so I believe, I, I, I would say the rhyme scheme is A, B, C, B. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, 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 it's rhyming alternate lines, sure. but not strictly alternate lines. It also, has an, internal, it also has an internal rhyme. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it has evidence of someone attempting to um, progress and push themselves um, in their lyrical construction. Mm. Now, fast forward to verse four. Um, there's nothing like a rhyme scream. There's no sense of meter. Um, and if I'm in critical theory mode, um, I would say it, this in itself represents a progression from classicism to modernism because we've abandoned the strict meter and rhyme scheme of the first verse and gone into modernist, possibly Eliot influenced free verse by the end. But no, um, he gave up halfway through um, and just wrote some stuff about a pentagram and a tomb and Satan's <laughs> night of doom. <laughs> Do you not think, though, it's because the song itself is actually quite proggy, isn't it, in a way? You know, there's, there's no classic verse chorus breakdown structure. Um, and so, you know, he, the, 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 maybe, there's, maybe he didn't feel the need to stick to, you know, the, the, the original kind of rhyming scheme. Yeah, that's distinctly possible. Mm. I would be more convinced by that argument um, if there'd been a musical progression to fit the structural progression. That's true. Um, That is true. Yeah, you're right. um, But um, effectively, you're painting the same living room Mm. um, and you've started off with one kind of emulsion Mm. and you've run out halfway through and you've cracked open some um, manky old paint that you found under the sink when you moved into the flat. Oh, not the jewel Not the jewel yeah. apple white again. Good Lord. It, probably the magnolia. Oh, the magnolia. It, it, yeah. It's a curio, isn't it? Because not having a chorus, off the top of my head, I can't think of another Slayer song that does not have a chorus. Um, but on the other hand, not having a chorus isn't unusual for Iron Maiden, is it? That's yeah, maybe I can't, but I can't think of a maiden track without chorus instinctively. The, the ancient mariner is the one that springs to mind. Maybe I mean, I have to check. I, I feel there is a chorus in that. I think there's repetition of lyrics. Um, um but, I'd, but I'd, I'd have to double check it. Um, there's repetition of themes. Um, mm-hmm. there's a recurrence, um, just as I think the mighty slayer are attempting to do in this track. Mm-hmm. There's a repetition of. Of themes, mm. um, the, the the endless maze, the eternal run, all of this yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, you're right. And anything else to say? No, I don't think so. Okay, I think I'm almost done here. Let's move on. Welcome to part four of Slaytanic Vercast. Here we just offer our final thoughts and summations, and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. Final thoughts then, uh, Dr. Lequescence, if you will. Um, to catch up, really, I can't believe that this track, um, which is, as we've discussed, um, very Nawabum, mm. borderline progressive, mm-hmm. um, very, very bombastic, yeah. um, very, um, very swords in the air, mm. um, 
can come immediately after the previous one, um, which was Slayerified Primitive Crust Punk. Mm -hmm. um, a bleak stroke, West Coast hardcore. <clears throat> sure. um, I'm continuing to be impressed by the musical diversity and just mm -hmm. the scale and the ambition um, that's on this album from quite a young band, uh, quite an inexperienced band, obviously from a band trying to record a first album on a very, very, very small budget under very mm -hmm. difficult circumstances. Sure, um, because it seems like they're back, you know, they're, they're, they're even bouncing from studio to studio, doesn't it? Based on the on the production of the of, of the individual tracks. I mean, maybe we're yeah. wrong about that, but it, it, it feels that way, doesn't it? It has, all the evidence points to something that I can imagine happening very, very easily, mm -hmm. which is, um, they save up five or six hundred quid. They, they they save up some money. They rent what space in the studio they can. Yeah. They record what they can. Of course. Um, they might complete two tracks <clears throat> with what money they have available. Mm. They might <clears throat> not even complete one. Mm. <clears throat> um, they might get a good take of one and then find themselves with an hour and a half to kill. So, all right, let's do this. But but at this point they're signed. I mean, I think they're signed to Metal Blade for the first album. Um, so you'd think you know that you'd think the record label would give them at least enough money to so you know so they weren't having to save their own cash to do that. But it's it it's, it does seem like the you know the budget must have been very tight. Um, I don't know any figures on this. I've got no idea what contract they signed or what mm. advance they received. As you know perfectly well, the first deal that anyone signs is inevitably an exploitative poverty row one. Yeah. Um, I mean, <clears throat> a little after this, um, a band who already had a very high touring profile um, and would go on to be world dominating, um, Guns N' Roses um, received a, um, an advance of only, I believe, $70,000 to record Appetite for Destruction. Okay, sure. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, when bands receive an advance, um, I don't know how Slayer's particular contract in this case worked, but whatever advance they got from Metal Blade Records, um, who are not a Hollywood Boulevard outfit, um, I'm kind of assuming that would have to take care of their living expenses, um, everything that they had to give up when they quit their day jobs to become full-time musicians mm -hmm. would have had to have come out of their advance. Um, sure. And if that was, so let's say that was something less than 70 grand, that might've been 15 grand a year each. Sure. For mm -hmm. them to live on. Yeah. Well, um, you know, it, 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 clearly it would have been difficult at the time, but they invested it wisely and, they, and they've certainly reaped the benefits since then. Um, any, any, any other final thoughts about this particular track? I loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, no spoilers for the, for the scores, but should, should we move on to the scores, if, if that's the case? Oh, yeah. Scores on the doors. Doc, um, how many liquescent swords are you giving Metal Storm Face the Slayer? For its ambition. Um, My heart stopped there, Doc. I thought you were going to say four. No, for its ambition. Good. Um, and for its willingness to go against the grain mm -hmm. um, and do something different, 
even if it was a thing that Slayer had never particularly decided to return to. Mm-hmm. Um, silly last verse aside, sure. um, I'm going to give it seven swords out of ten. Seven liquescent swords out of ten. Very, very good. Um, for me, <coughs> I really loved it as well. Um, I really love that last verse too. Um, I don't really think it's a Slayer song. I think it's a fantastic Iron Maiden song, but I'm not going to hold that against it because it's just a, you know, it, 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 it's a riot to listen to. I'm going to give it seven modes, mouldy skulls out of ten as well. Um, okay, that about does it for this episode. Don't forget, guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slaytanicvercast at gmail.com. Join us next time when we will be discussing the next track from Show No Mercy, track one, side two, entitled Black Magic. Get it down your neck. See you next time, guys. See you later.